Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. Social distancing, of course. You know it. You love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today on the A.J. Allmendinger edition of Victory Lane, episode 47. You may think of another 47, Bobby Labonte maybe, Marcus Ambrose maybe, but to me, when I think of 47, I think of the dinger. The road course ringer dinger. A.J. Allmendinger, of course, in the Cup Series, but he still competes on a part-time basis in Xfinity with Colleg Racing. So today on this A.J. Allmendinger edition, Timmy Hill. Hell yeah, brother. Timmy Hill wins at the virtual Texas Motor Speedway. Another good race. And the fact that he won was really, really cool. Awesome. Maryland's finest. My man's plus Evan Pasoko on the show. You may know him from his work doing some iRacing broadcasting for the Coke series. We delved into that. His kind of life in general, being from Canada, but moving to Vegas. Um, and we talked a lot of iRacing, but also a lot about him because I think his story is pretty interesting so stick around for that be sure to listen to the duration because we had some fun in the middle and towards the end uh teased him about the golden knights and my caps but that is episode 47 that's what's on the docket so let's get this episode started with a good old-fashioned little peek behind the curtain here because you know i love giving you guys that as soon as i did the reggaeton my recorder died so I said my parents are probably downstairs thinking, what the mm, is going on up there? So for the second time, I did a reggaeton. You're welcome, but you only heard the one. That's the power of editing, folks. E-NASCAR Racing, excuse me, E-NASCAR iRacing Pro Series Invitational Race. Numero dos from Tejas Motor Speedway. Timmy Hill, winner, winner, Old Bay and Crab Dinner. You know why? Because he is Maryland finest marylanders rejoice hell yeah timmy hill from port tobacco maryland i actually looked this up he's not the first race winner in the cup series from maryland no the iRacing league is not actually the cup series just humor me please elmo langley you heard of him haven't you 1966 he won two races in nascar's cup series division and i believe he drove the pace car for a handful of years maybe in the bush slash xfinity nationwide series i don't know but uh, I think I remember hearing that name from Scene Vault Podcast. Anyway, well, like I said, it was another good race and another exciting finish. Timmy, please talk us through the last lap from the, well, not the cockpit. I guess you can say the, the desk chair slash seat. Yeah, the race was really exciting. The last lap um, was uh, basically was a two-lap run in the finish, green-white checkered in overtime. And I had to fight off Ryan Priest and Gary Smithley. Uh, two excellent eye racers. You know, they, they've really put in a lot of practice, so I knew they would be tough to beat. But um, after I took the white flag, and um, I knew how tough it was to pass in a three and four, so I knew if I can kind of hold them off going into turn one, that I can almost coast and and uh, drive to a victory. So that was all I was focusing on for the final lap, and I held those guys off through one and two. They got a big run through the center three and four, and I can hold those guys off. So uh, I couldn't be more excited. You know, it's, it's very exciting times for us because we just don't get the recognition. Um, on a normal basis. So 
to kind of be on an even playing field is, is excellent. You know, to be on this platform for uh, uh, the cup platform, it, it's exciting. And uh, the, the amount of uh, folks that have reached out to me, it's, it's just been tremendous. So um, uh, the last lap was just one that I definitely remember for a while. The winning move for Timmy in the 66 car was a bump and run on Mr. iRacing himself, William Byron, with under 10 laps to go. So Bob Pockers actually raised an interesting point, you know, What's the policy in iRacing when it comes to retaliation? Is he expecting something in return from William? And actually, William tweeted afterwards, basically, you can bet you're behind that if he's in front of me at Bristol, he's getting moved. But let's hear from Timmy on kind of what the policy is in terms of retaliation in the sim. Because as he says right here, it's pretty realistic to what it is in real life. So retaliation would pretty much be the same. Well, I think the etiquette is similar to real life. You know, basically you raise people how they raise you. And uh, unfortunately, for, you know, in, in this situation, you know, we, we never really race each other because in real life we're on two completely different uh, uh, levels of competition. And uh, so this is a unique situation where, where we were kind of competing for the win in the closing last. I think that kind of changes the uh, uh, the element of have a racing. So uh, I'm sure you're, you're talking about the uh, the bump and run to take the lead. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it was a situation where, you know, I don't get the chance to win much on this platform, this big of a platform. And uh, I always told myself, you know, if I had a chance to win at any any type of race, you know, NASCAR, short track level, uh, but it came down to it, that, that's what I would do. So it didn't change because it was racing. That's what I would do in real life. You know, going forward, I'm sure William is probably isn't happy about it. And I'm sure he'll probably do the same back to me because uh, – uh, like you said, revert back to what I said before. It's you race others how they race you. So um, I'll probably get uh, um, a lot of abuse going forward, and I'll have to accept that. But uh, that, that's in the future. I, I'm kind of living in the present. I'm happy to get the win. Live in the moment. Absolutely, Timmy. Oh, I could say Timmy Hill literally all day long. Brett Griffin's going wild. I might uh, I might text him and be like, yo, I literally am thinking of you every single time I see Timmy Hill's name. So he's been on iRacing. Timmy has, not Brett, for a while now, a good while, over a decade, I think. And he's not that shocked at how realistic it is and the growth that the platform itself has seen, especially in the last couple years, but specifically the last couple weeks, because he's done this forever. That's why he's so good at it. That's why he won this race. And if we're keeping track, he's the points leader of the Pro Invitational Series. Um, So let's hear from him as to why this is so realistic and why the growth has happened exponentially. I got into iRacing probably 10 to 12 years ago. So I was, I wasn't there for the really beginning, but I was in the early stages and when iRacing was just kind of forming and um, I used iRacing as a tool and I, I knew that this platform had the potential to, to grow as much as it has. And um, obviously in the, in the last couple of weeks, it's really taken a jump because of the circumstances that we're under. Um, but in my surprise, no, no, it's, it's a very realistic service and uh, it's, unique in the way that it, it allows young racers who may not have the funding to go out and drive um, maybe a go-kart or a late model level. And it gives them the opportunity to practice their skills or even race uh, competitively on iRacing. So um, I'm not surprised there to see it grow. It's exciting that iRacing has gotten the opportunity to showcase um, the excitement and the realism on a national um, television broadcast. So, um, that being said, uh, I, I've taken advantage of it over the years. I've really enjoyed my time uh, on iRacing. You know, we do uh, a couple races a year on iRacing that 
that they try to put together invitational races throughout the winter, and they've been a success. And uh, so this is something that they've been trying to work towards. So if you're kind of a fringe listener or watcher, viewer, what have you, of NASCAR, you're thinking, who the, you know what, is Timmy Hill? Because he has zero career top fives and zero career top ten finishes in his cup career. But that's different circumstances because, as you'll hear in, in a couple minutes here, when he's racing on Sundays, he's racing with underfunded equipment, old cars, you know, low engine power in terms of horsepower, bad chassis, used tires. Like, he does not have the best of the best. If you put Kyle Busch in Timmy Hill's car, I, I bet you Timmy Hill finishes better than Kyle does because Timmy is used to working with what he has. But Jeff Gluck brought up an interesting point. Where does this win and moment for Timmy rank in his career accomplishments? Because... Let's face it. I mean, even though it's an iRacing event, it's a pretty big deal. I definitely rank it up there. And the reason being is just because the platform is on, being televised on Fox and having uh, essentially the entire NASCAR audience tuning in. And um, like I said, I, I've won a lot of iRacing races. And uh, um, it's neat to win on there, but it's, it's really neat to, to win against your competitors that you race each and every Sunday. Um, you know, like I said, iRacing, I use it as a huge tool for me. Um, it would never replace real life racing but uh i tell you what the way i celebrate this win the way it ranks for me is definitely towards the top it, you know it's not the top just because of how the fans react and how, how the media reacts to it and since he's done it a lot before i wanted to know if when he heard of the pro series invitational and when he entered these events was it with the mindset of okay i'm gonna win one of these races or was it more like a let's just see what happens and then readjust my expectations after that Hey, Timmy, congratulations from one Marylander to another. I just wanted to know, I mean, you obviously coming in were one of the one of the guys who does high racing a lot more than the other competitors. So your mindset, was it more so of a, okay, I can actually compete for wins in this thing? Because those that were watching today that also watch real cup racing every week know that you're not in the picture for a win or a top 10 finish every week. So what was your mindset going into these events, thinking that you have an edge up on the competition? Uh, so for me personally, the iRacing platform, it, it's kind of an equalizer in the fact that uh, uh, the cars that we're driving on there, I'm in the same cars as everybody. And uh, most weekends, like you said, I'm, I'm not in that situation. I'm in a situation where I'm racing on 15 lap tires and I got a motor that's 50 to 100 horsepower down. And I got a car that's probably five years old. So I'm really kind of behind the eight ball as soon as we show up at the racetrack a lot of times. So to come into the service where everybody has the same cars, and in this case, even the same setup. So everybody's on the same exact playing field. And basically the driver conquers, uh, conquers all in the situation. So um, I had more experience going into it because I've been on the service quite a bit longer. And uh, um, I knew that would be to my advantage. But at the end of the day, uh, these guys are all competitors. They're all turning laps, turning hundreds of laps. And uh, they're all doing the best they can. So I, I can... Uh, for me to actually beat these guys in, in the level playing field, it really feels good for my driving talents. And uh, um, I look forward to uh, the competition as it gets better uh, in the coming weeks. And also to see that you did it with what looked like a 10-year-old steering wheel and on a desk compared to people like Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch who have uh, you know multi-thousand-dollar rigs that look like spaceships, like Clint Boyer says. I mean, what does it say about the system itself and then also – capability of people watching to say okay i can only spend a couple hundred bucks and go out with a setup like the guy who won this race and do this too yeah i mean and just to kind of give you the background of my setup 
Uh, I bought this this wheel uh, 12 years ago when I first kind of was branching into NASCAR, and they cost me 300 bucks back then, and it's been a, a great wheel. You know, I, I had off Logitech, and actually this wheel is obsolete. Uh, if I were to break it, I'd have to get a different type of wheel. They're on a whole different model now, so uh, I'm used to it. It's, it's my favorite, and I, if it ain't broken, I typically don't fix it. So um, it's neat to beat up on, beat up on these guys with these big, massive, expensive setups. And it's, I think for the viewers, it's, it's neat for them because uh, they can understand that they don't have to spend on that, that, that huge dollar amount to uh, to get into iRacing. And I think 80% of the viewers, viewers uh, or iRacers, excuse me, uh, that are on the service, I, I think they're probably on similar setups to what I got. So I think I relate to a lot of the average racers a lot more because they're on a very similar rig than I'm on, uh, basically a wheel clamped to a desk uh, just up in my uh, – my little man cave up, up, upstairs. And um, so I think it really shows that this is a very inexpensive way to get involved in racing. And I'm, I'm excited to kind of show that off. How about that? A 12 year old wheel, a desk he got on black Friday and a hundred dollars swivelly chair. You really can't make this stuff up folks. Only in NASCAR, only in iRacing, only in the virtual world. And guess what? We still are on hiatus due to coronavirus concerns. I don't know whether or not to call it COVID-19 or coronavirus. COVID-19 sounds so much more grim. Coronavirus sounds like less so, but it's very grim. I digress. Hopefully you're staying inside when you're listening to this, people. Next week we go to Bristol, baby! I'm so lit for that. Uh, maybe Timmy Hill can drink some more milk and maybe he'll win another one because I don't know if we if you heard it, but yeah, no, you didn't because I'm the one that edited these clips. When Timmy was uh, excited and uh, what happened, how does he celebrate a win? Well, his wife comes upstairs, gives him a hug, and gives him his victory drink of choice. No, it's not a beer. No, it's not champagne. It is some ice-cold milk. Never change, Timmy Hill. Never change. Interview time. Let's talk with Evan Pasoko of the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series. As I mentioned to him in the interview, when I think of esports and iRacing, I don't really think of Dale Jr. I don't really think of William Byron. The guy who I think of is Evan because he is the voice of the premier series of iRacing, which is the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series. We'll just call it the Coke series. And I think he's really, really freaking good at what he does. Um, I saw a tweet by Tim Clark, who works for NASCAR this week, because Evan was calling the qualifying race. He did not call the actual race. That was Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon. And he said, if I learn one thing during this qualifying race, Evan Pasoko is going to be calling a lot of races on Sundays for years to come. So we talked about that. If that's a realistic goal of him, you know, getting to the actual broadcast booth. And here's a little teaser. He's actually only called one real race in his entire life. And here's another teaser. You're going to want to stick around for how he got into NASCAR, because you would think that he got into NASCAR and then iRacing. Uh-uh. It's actually the opposite. It's really interesting. So here is the voice of the Coke series on iRacing, Evan Pasoko. It is a pleasure to welcome on Evan Pasoko of the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series. Now, we were actually just talking off mic, but we're going to rehash this conversation. So this is the first time that I have actually talked to Evan, I guess you could say, person to person. Um, but I wanted to get the pronunciation of his last name correct. So Evan, it is indeed Pasoko. It is not Pasako. And what are some other ones that people call you? 
So, you know, people kind of panic and they'll go to like a word that they know. So I've gotten pistachio. Uh, Pisaco is obviously kind of the one that everybody goes for. Um, Prosecco. Um, but we were joking before that if I'm on iRacing, everybody calls me Paso Slow because I'm no yeah. good. So that's why <laughs> that's why I'm not driving. I'm not trying to get into, you know, the top levels because uh, I'm no good. I've got a wheel. Uh, but if if I'm racing, it's kind of hosted only. So Paso Slow, if uh, if you pass me in a race on hosted, uh, shout that over the mic and yeah, I'll get it. <laughs> you said you're no good, but I mean, this is coming from somebody whose iRacing experience consists of half a lap at Gateway when I was at Gateway covering the K9 event, and it was so bad that I spun out off of turn one, coming off of pit road, um, and Haley Deegan and Derek Krauss laughed at me so much that my self-esteem went so far down that I figured I'd never try it again. Yeah, see, I'm not even going to put myself in that position. I used to try, like, iRacing league races and stuff, yeah. and it just did not did not work out. The, I mean, a couple of years ago, it was actually a fun event. We had something called the Bragging Rights Invitational, and that was kind of a bunch of broadcasting people doing a race. And we did like oval stuff and road stuff and a bunch of different car combos. And it was fun. So that's, I think, the only thing you're ever going to get me trying to race on camera for. Because otherwise, I, like I said, I, I can't embarrass myself if I don't try it in the first <laughs> place. So that's kind of the that's, idea. Yeah, that's right. But hey, it's fun. And that's what everybody kind of flocks to it, right? Yeah. It, I have a ton of fun uh, racing, you know, pro, pro four trucks and, and rally cross and stuff. But that's kind of like you throw up a session with your buddies and you kind of lock it down. So it's just you five kind of messing around and nobody <laughs> yeah. else can can kind of expose you for how bad you are. Because I feel like if people, well, if people, yeah, exactly. If people saw how bad I actually was, the next time I'm on a broadcast, like critiquing somebody for doing something, they can be like, well, yeah, what does this guy know? He doesn't know anything. So, uh, yeah, I, I stay away from the wheel. That's that's probably wise. You, you'll stay away from the wheel. You'll stay behind the mic. Yeah, I think that works. It's it's worked out so far. So we'll we'll try to kind of <laughs> keep it going that way. So esports have kind of taken over not only just NASCAR specifically, but kind of the sporting world in a way. Because even though iRacing is unique to motorsports in the sense of, I mean, we've heard it at nauseum. If if you're, I mean, look, if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously a NASCAR and a racing fan, so you understand how iRacing is as close as it gets to the real thing. And football players can't hop on Madden, NBA players can't hop on 2K, hockey players can't hop on NHL, et cetera, et cetera. iRacing is not NASCAR heat. This is a real-life racing simulator type of thing. And you, I wanted to talk to you because you've kind of been at the forefront, in my mind at least, of all of this movement, I guess you could say, of esports for as long as I can remember when I started seeing more coverage on it social media-wise. I'm just kind of curious, like, now that it's becoming, quote unquote, a thing and the thing in the mainstream with what's going on right now, I mean, is it cool for you to kind of say, hey, I was on this train way before anybody else and now I'm riding it? It's, it's kind of crazy because uh, when I actually got my iRacing subscription, uh, you know, a handful of years ago, I got a microphone before I got a wheel. Um, which is obviously not, I mean, most of the people who do commentary stuff in like the sim racing community, you know, are just iRacing members and then they kind of get into it through that way. Uh, but I got my my microphone before I got a wheel because actually I had watched like the very early days broadcasts of what is now the Coke series. So it's been around since 2010 um, and at least a couple of years into that broadcasting, it was kind of a regular thing, obviously not as big of a production as it has gotten to now right. so those were just you know the youtube streams and, and we still stream all our stuff uh, online anyways but i watched that and i'm like that's cool i mean this was even before i was a huge racing fan 
uh, I kind of got into it through iRacing is actually what introduced me to NASCAR because I would watch the uh, what was kind of the F1 championship uh, on iRacing back in the day. And then, of course, I kind of mm-hmm. got over to what was the uh, the Drivers World Championship, DWC, and that kind of introduced me to real racing, actually, was iRacing. It wasn't the other way around. So I, I had always thought that, you know, like the best case scenario was, man, it would be really cool to do sim racing broadcasting like this was well before uh you know going to school and kind of having like a like an attempted career kind of set out it was just that looks like fun let's do it and i thought that if i could get on any sort of sim racing broadcast uh, that it was kind of like it like that was it looks like fun let's do it um you know if you had told me six seven years ago when i started doing that that it would turn into what it is now um you know the iRacing kind of motto is iRacing was esports before there were esports i mean you know esports is is continuing to grow to a multi-billion dollar industry like it is today um you know especially those uh, first person games and stuff like that but i don't think we really saw iRacing at that time being a top level esport and you know now as of a week ago i think we're probably going to be owning the top 2 uh, esports broadcast in yep. American TV history with the stuff on Fox. So um, it, it was never like the intention for for me to get into this spot and for it to kind of blow up. It was always just like, that looks like fun. That can be my hobby. Um, and I've been, you know, probably, I don't think I've gone a single week in the last seven years without commentating some sort of iRacing race. So uh, it's wow. kind of, I jumped into it and it's never stopped. No days off every no. single week for seven years. And it's well, and it's not all like the really cool, like, you know, the, the NASCAR sanctioned stuff and the iRacing events. A lot of it's just league events, oh, yeah. um, you know, or, and of course, if, if you're watching and, and you know, iRacing, you know, the private leagues, that's kind of the majority of it. I still do, you know, two, three of those uh, a week. Um, and at, at one point, uh, you know, I, I'd gotten wind with, uh, with what was ETV Live, which was the first broadcast company on iRacing that I got into with, and it kind of turned into LSR TV. And after a couple of years, I actually ended up managing that uh, up until this uh, past winter. Um, so that's kind of it's been like a day to day or a week to week part of my life now for for seven years. Um, yeah, no days off. It's always something going on. Yeah, seems like it. So let, let's jump around here a little bit because I was going to get into kind of how you got your start within the sport of NASCAR slash iRacing later. But this is really interesting to me because, you know, I assume that you are one of those guys like pretty much everybody else that watches NASCAR somehow or another at a young age, you know, winds up getting to an age where you say, all right, am I going to be a driver? Or am I going to try to make a career out of this some other way? But you're saying that that never really was the case. You actually got into watching NASCAR and racing in general through what you did in iRacing, which you said was what, six or seven years ago? I feel like that's the opposite yeah. of the mainstream. Yeah, the, the most, you know, your kind of target demographic to get people on iRacing is you get a race fan, you introduce them to it, and they hop on iRacing. And I was the opposite just because um, I, I would used to do a lot of YouTube stuff, nothing like, uh, you know, big. It was just I'd, I was big into monster trucks, and I've, you know, been working with Monster Jam for the last few years as well. And I would, you know, kind of make little highlight videos and post them. So I was on YouTube a lot. And obviously, that's where those early days of the iRacing Road and Oval Championships were streamed. So that's how I saw them, um, and and that's how I got into iRacing, which then led me into the racing. So you know, it's funny because we have a lot of these conversations with a lot of the people now that are kind of in this eNASCAR circle with our with a Coke stuff or you know folks at NASCAR and iRacing that we talk to, and and they've been watching you know since they were in diapers. And I think my first NASCAR race that I watched was probably the 2011 Daytona 500. So that's a lot of history that I've had yeah. to be catching <laughs> up on. So it's it's been good, actually, 
um, being stuck at home now recently because NASCAR has been doing a really good job of uploading a lot of classic races. So I've mm -hmm. been every single time one's up, it goes up on the YouTube app on my TV and I sit down and I watch it like I would any race on Sunday. So I am still I don't know if I can say I'm still green to it, but I, like I said, it, it was late coming in. I mean, at that point in 2011, I was already 14. So it was not a thing that I really grew up with. I played, you know, basketball and baseball as a kid. So those were kind of the sports that I watched and I was never a huge race fan. And then as soon as I, uh, you know, whatever the exact race was, when as soon as I watched my first NASCAR race, I've been hooked ever since. That's very, very intriguing to me because it's an unorthodox way yeah. of getting indoctrinated into the sport. So, okay, let's get to there then. So 2011 Daytona 500, I remember it like it was yesterday because I was there in the stands with my dad. And I still remember it's like I don't have a photographic memory, but I'll remember this image for the rest of my life. My dad's face literally looked like the scream when he actually realized that Trevor Bain yeah. won that race. So, um so that's kind of when you started watching and I see behind you, there's a bunch of die casts, very nice collection. Yeah. Um, that's, so uh, that's like, come along with the, uh, the NASCAR addiction. Oh is yeah. The die cast addiction. They go Absolutely. hand in hand. Yeah. As it should a after we hang up, I'll show you mine. This is to my left right now. But, um, so that kind of started it for you. And then from that point on, like what was the first race you went to? Who was your favorite driver? How often did you watch? Kind of give me the four one one on how, this thing kind of spiraled for you. So in, in 2011, it was kind of a significant year when I started watching because at that point I still lived in Canada. So I, I had made kind of a big point of this on Twitter uh, the other day because I was having fun because when we did the Pro Invitational Qualifier broadcast, uh, it was myself, Tim Terry, and Justin Prince on the call and we're all Canadian. And I thought oh, that yeah. was really cool with Alex LeBay Sorry. getting the win. So that was cool, right? So yeah. I, I grew up about an hour outside of Toronto in, in Cambridge, Ontario. Um, and then in 2012, I moved to Vegas. And obviously, Vegas has uh, quite its fair share of NASCAR stuff. We've had, uh, you know, obviously the spring race, but now we've got two champions. We could have been here for the longest time. Uh, so there was tons of stuff. So I think the first race that I went to is we moved to Vegas in the summer of 2012. So it would have been the 2013 spring race at Vegas. Uh, it was probably the first one I've went to. And I've missed a lot of the spring races since then because my work stuff has had me away on weekends. But I have my season tickets. I've been in the same seats out in the bleachers at Vegas. I think like 16 rows up from the start finish line right on the middle uh, down in the bleachers for the last, uh, I guess, what's now seven years. Um, so I've gone to Vegas every year that I can. Um, and then I've been to Daytona once for the 500 uh, and I have also uh, done the Indy 500 uh, on the IndyCar side. But I've, I've only ever been to NASCAR in Vegas and in Daytona. So I kind of made a pledge to myself at the start of the year that I need to go do some cool races this year. And now yeah. I kind of it's hard to plan because we don't really know what the schedule <laughs> yeah. is going to look like. No so that, that's anything. throwing a bit of a wrench into it. Martinsville Night Race was was at the top of my list on stuff trying yeah. to get coordinated. Um, so, yeah, I, it's. As soon as I got to Vegas, that helped, I think, because I feel like if I moved to a place where there wasn't a track, then maybe not having that at-track experience would have maybe slowed down my my progression or interest in the sport. Yeah, but sure. having still been kind of new to watching it and, you know, when you first discover something that you really like, you're all in and then to immediately a year later kind of get that at-track experience, um, I think is what certainly kind of got me hooked on. So I'm going to stick to the Vegas stuff for a little okay. bit because Vegas is great, as we all know. Yes. Um, why why did you guys move to Vegas in the first place? So my, we moved just for my my folks' work. So uh, we have a family business thing that my parents do. They're actually based in, in Canada, just outside of Toronto. Um, and they were doing a lot of shipping stuff to California. So instead of setting up in California, it would have been more expensive. We set up in Nevada next door 
And uh, yeah, so we moved for my folks' work. Uh, I had finished grade nine at the time, so moved in the middle of high school, which was always fun. Um, and uh, it's funny because I mentioned that I played basketball and, and baseball and stuff. I was never a big football guy. That's a big American thing. So I was kind of forced to watch a bit of football <laughs> in high school because I didn't know anybody. So I had to find a common interest. Not yeah. a lot of race fans. So I'm like, oh, I'll watch a bit of football. But I tried to kind of get people onto the NASCAR train and, and do what I can. But yeah, just by happen chance. I, I remember one day my my parents were like, uh, you guys want to move to Vegas? And I probably half jokingly. I'm like, sure. It's a lot warmer than it is up in Toronto. I love the heat. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've done my time with the snow. I'm over it. Um, but no, I mean, I, I we go back and visit everybody uh, back home and, you know, families up there and friends. And it's a ton of fun. But uh, I love it in Vegas. Uh, if, if for whatever reason you can't find something to do in town and that's really pushing it. Because uh, if you're not, enough. yeah, exactly. If you can't find something, you're not looking hard enough. Uh, you can go to Southern California four hours away. You can get to Phoenix in four and a half hours. Um, yeah, I, I think it's great here. And of course, having the track uh, keeps me busy. It is on the opposite side of town. So Vegas is not big. I am as about as south in Vegas as you can get. Final stop on the freeway. The speedway is the final stop north on the freeway okay, before you Okay, so I was going to ask, because I have family that lives in Henderson. Yeah, are you so in Vegas? Or I, are you in I am in Henderson. Okay. Technically yeah. Henderson. But the same thing with when someone asks where you're from, and I say Toronto, because not a lot of people are going to know no. where Cambridge is. Now, people in Henderson still say they're from Vegas. Vegas is about two minutes down the road on the other side of right. a major street. So Henderson and Vegas kind of go hand in hand. Uh, so technically, yes, Henderson. Um, so it's funny talking to people when I'm flying back and forth and they're like, I'm in Vegas. Well, Henderson, you kind of, you know, you narrow it down. I and do get the more same specific. thing because I live in Maryland, but mm -hmm. I just tell people, they're like, where are you from? I go, oh, DC. Yeah. And then if they're like, oh, where in DC? Then I'm like, well, actually Maryland, because if they ask you that question, then they, that's they inferring they know. Like, yeah. you know how it is. Same, yeah. same thing for living here and, and talking about, uh, back home is you, you start broad and you can, you can narrow it down. Exactly. That works out. So you moved to Vegas and you uh, went to college at UNLV, running Rebels, of course. Yes. How was your experience there? What did you major in? What are some of the things that you did to kind of hone your craft to get to where you are today as kind of the lead guy of the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series? It was a ton of fun. Um, you know, it was kind of an easy decision just to, to stay in state um, and, and not really go anywhere. Um, but it just so happened that uh, UNLV has got a pretty good journalism program because uh, our whole media studies building was brand new as of like two years before I started in the fall of 2015. Nice. Good timing. And, yeah, and we've had a good partnership as well with all of the local news stations. So every time they had you know gotten a new set, they basically handed all their equipment down to us. So by college standards, you know we had a pretty good control room and a pretty good you know studio set and all of that. Uh, to be able to get hands-on experience just based on that, so it was it was really cool. Um, I you know I lived at home, so it was a commuter uh, campus. I think only like two or three percent of students actually live on campus mm -hmm. um, at UNLV, so it was a good experience. Um, you know, we got to do a couple of cool things um, because I, I so I majored in journalism and media studies, um, and I, I didn't minor in anything, but I did all my electives in in criminal justice and movie studies because that is just kind of stuff that I found fun. Um, but it was fun because I, I interned at the uh, – we have a radio station on campus, so I interned there for a few semesters. Um, and a lot of it was kind of like the you know the mundane kind of public radio stuff that you would right. do. But one of the really cool things we got has uh, been – so for the spring Vegas races, um, Claire Lang with Sirius XM NASCAR Radio would actually come in and use our studio uh, to broadcast on like the Tuesday and Wednesday before the race. 
Cool. So since I was interning at the time and uh, the GM of the station knew that I was a big NASCAR fan, assigned me to do that. So that was really cool to help her out with those and, and kind of just have a little connection there, somebody to know kind of in the industry. And this was now, you know, two, three years ago when this series, even though I was calling the Coke series, was significantly smaller than it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the, the funnest thing. I mean, we did, you know, the classes where uh, I would anchor, I would produce, run cameras, run the teleprompter, kind of all your basic JMS yep. stuff. Um, but I, I finished in uh, the fall of 2018. And, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of looked at like, like anchor jobs in town um, and, you, you know, your more traditional kind of major media stuff for the local spots. And I just never... At this point, it was dumb because, like I said, two years ago, iRacing was still very small on the map, um, barely paid anything. And it was like, well, it was kind of maybe maybe if it works out, maybe it ended up being the right decision. But at that time, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to take the full time job. I'm going to keep doing all these part time jobs so I can broadcast at night. Um, you know, you got to play two or three fields to I leave it, Tuesday dude. nights open. And it's 100 percent. It's worked out to this point. But. Um, had a ton of fun at UNLV and, uh, yeah, I think that that NASCAR connection was probably the, the funnest thing I did. And that was, you know, two nights out of the, the three and a half years that I was there, but it was fun. Um, you know, I've thought about going back for, um, so I have a bachelor's thought about going back for a master's, but, uh, at, at this point we're, you know, we're kind of happy with where we are. So I'll get to this too, because you're Canadian Golden Knights obviously came to town. I assume you're a diehard Golden Knights fan. I don't know uh, how is there, there's not a lot. I've got a ton of hockey stuff in the back. I think it's just all behind the couch. But that was show me, yeah. Yeah, when I was in so when I was in high school, I mentioned trying to watch football to like make friends, and I was telling everybody like, man, you guys got to watch hockey because I was I'm originally <laughs> from Toronto, but actually my my hockey team had been the Montreal Canadiens. Okay. I don't know I don't know how half the family was Toronto, half was Montreal. It just happened that way. Um, so I'm hooked. I mean, we have uh, season tickets for the Knights, um, and we're getting a AHL team too. So we're on the wait list cool. for hockey tickets. So I am, if I'm not on an iRacing broadcast, the other night of the week that I'm free, I'm team at Bobo. a hockey game. Yeah, that's, that's my, for the longest time, I think for the first season, I, I actually had changed my Twitter location on my Twitter bio to T-Mobile Arena. Cause that's, <laughs> that's I funny. was there for every event, even if I didn't have tickets to the game. I was, you know, at uh, one of the restaurants or the bars out front yeah. watching uh, for watch parties. So it, aside from auto racing, number two, hockey, 100 percent. Good. Well, I figured because the Canadian tie obviously had to be that. And now I'm just curious and uh, you probably know where I'm going with this. Do you happen to have season tickets for uh, a couple of years back when a certain team over in my side of the fence uh, came into your building and uh, did some damage? Did you happen to have season tickets that year? Not only did I happen to have season tickets that year, but I was in, the, five, I was in the building for game five. Oh, baby. And <laughs> I think that I was probably the last person out of the building. So I sat and watched everything that happened after the final whistle. Why would you do that to yourself? Because I I had a big tub of popcorn and I just sat there and stuffed my face. Well, you're going to finish itself. But but then those those darn Washington fans that came in, you know, they didn't want to leave. They were kind of partying down by the glass. So every time... Look, you can't blame us when (laughs) we've been so tortured. I know. Just everything. It's been pretty good sense, though, based on the, the shirt. Oh, yeah. I would assume so. Right there, yeah. baby. And here's the thing, too, because you're a hockey guy, so you'll know. Like, Part of us winning the Stanley Cup, like, I feel like we won two Stanley Cups that year. The first was beating Pittsburgh. And then the second one was like, okay, now that we did this, 
I mean, if we finish off the deal, great, but like we already won, you yeah. know, because that was the demon that needed to be exercised. So then that, so when we went to Vegas. You mentioned too, that I mean, the demon. I don't know who it is. And, and you'd probably be able to answer this. question. John Walton. The, that is the one of my answer. At, no way. A Washington sports fan, but that's one of my favorite like sports calls the all time. Yeah, have was, been exercised. that's really good. That's really good. I'll, good I'll morning, give you that much. Good afternoon and good night, Las Vegas. It's the greatest. <sighs> I'm fine. I'm not mad. I'm fine. No, I can tell. You know, I you know I was gonna get that. Yeah, I was waiting for it. Yeah, it had to happen. Well, I mean, look, I'm I'm actually a Golden Knights fan, and one year I think it was the playoff race two years ago in Vegas. Um, so I mentioned my family's in Henderson. They also have season tickets. Um, and my uncle out there, um, his work, he gets some sweet tickets at some points. So I think at that point it was a preseason game. So I hightailed it out of Vegas and went straight to T-Mobile and I changed in the car, put on my Stanley cup hat, put on my Stanley cup shirt. I was looking like such an idiot just in a sea of golden Knights yeah. people wearing my cap stuff alone, like sending Snapchats to all my friends. But I went in there. I didn't get mobbed. I didn't get trampled or anything. And I enjoyed a nice preseason hockey hockey game. It was it was great. So I'm I like the Golden Knights. But part of my reason for liking them was because they brought me the utmost joy. Right. So you can understand. Well, we're we're, uh, we're happy to have uh, helped you out. So you're welcome for that. Good. Glad we're on the same page yeah. there. Um, okay. So hockey back to racing slash esports. Like I said, you've kind of been at the forefront of this whole quote unquote movement, and I'm sure you probably had some inside knowledge of when NASCAR and the television network, specifically Fox Sports, were talking about possibly putting the Pro Invitational Series on network television. I mean, the fact that I said that sentence out loud, for me at least, is kind of just jarring because the fact that we're having iRacing on not just Fox Sports 1, but network TV and Fox Sports, it's... That's pretty crazy to me. What was your reaction when you found out? Because I'm sure you knew before everybody else in the general public. I mean, what was your reaction when you found out that this was actually going to be happening? And I really wish I could tweet some of the stuff out when I find out about it because it would help my likes oh, on yeah. Twitter. But um, yeah, welcome no, so, to every journalist yeah, ever. We had, um, you know, we used to do the Pro Invitational series um, back in 2016 and 17. So again, this was still when, uh, at the time, the the Peak series was still small. Now the Coke series. Uh, it, those broadcasts are every other Tuesdays. So on the off Tuesdays, we would have these pro invitationals, same name. But the thing is at that point, you know, the real race car drivers were still busy. I mean, we're racing all throughout that year. So we're not getting the Kyle Bushes or the Jimmy Johnsons on. There were still some pretty big names. Bubba Wallace was in a handful of those races. Uh, I think Regan Smith was on a few. Um, so we would do these broadcasts, but it was like 18, 19 cars. And it was all the drivers who were already on iRacing. So it wasn't like a big news thing for them to be iRacing because they were kind of the guys that had been on it for a while. And frankly, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, so that it, it was it was very that... it was very low key. Like it wasn't yeah. uh, promoted on NASCAR social media, right. uh, pushed out, which is I think a thing that they've done a really good job of these last two years is getting uh, the NASCAR channels involved on it. So as soon as they said that race was canceled, I said, well, it's time to bring it back. And I think I threw a tweet out, and and Junior and somebody else uh, had replied and said that they were down. And obviously, this was going on behind the scenes. So I remember that uh, Vargas's tweet was going around. Uh, to get the e-truck night, uh, e-series night in America get going. And there were so many community events. So I, I shot a message over to somebody at iRace and I said, hey, you know, they're kind of looking for some support on this, but I, I'm sure that you guys are busy. So I don't want to like 
you know, commit to doing anything else depending on right. what you guys are doing. Uh, and at that point they said, yeah, we're, you know, we're talking with about six or seven different racing series. Uh, you've seen a handful of them, the NASCAR, the IndyCar stuff, but there's still more coming uh, in the next week or so. Um, and so I had an idea that it was going to happen. And then there was the call that, you know, we're, we're going to get the Fox guys to do it. So I've actually been helping out on the broadcast behind the scenes, um, just taking care of the drivers and team speak. And, you know, when they're talking to Jimmy or Landon or Timmy in the broadcast, I'm mic checking them and moving them up and down, just basic stuff to help out. But it was a stressful week because first they said, we're going to have the Fox guys do it. And then they said, well, you might have to do it because Jeff Gordon's out of the country and he might not be able to oh. get into the country. So then I'm you're, you're for like no Jeff. reason. Yeah, you're saying, Jeff, you better stay for, your for ass wherever you safety, are. For the sake of safety, 14-day quarantine. Let's be <laughs> yeah, safe about this, Jeff. Exactly. Let's not rush it. And then Jeff was able to get back in. So like I said, I'm happy to help Damn out it, Jeff. Uh, behind the scenes. Um, but I mean, we got to do the NBC stuff last year on NBCSN. But oh. uh, it has been full throttle, 110% every day. I've had like three conference calls this morning, not even related to the Fox stuff. So I have some stuff that I'm helping them out with just because they're swamped. Um, with all these different events, and uh, we're we're doing an event this week for a major TV network that is uh, to be announced. Uh, that should be uh, a week or two away from actually airing, so that'll be exciting. Um, it's kind of insane, and it's been a steady progression. Like once we brought the NASCAR teams into the Coke Series last year, I mean things spiked. It was the biggest year we had ever seen. We kind of knew coming into this year that iRacing was going to have its biggest year because those teams were involved. Um, Coke signed on, which was obviously a big get for iRacing and that it was an upward trajectory, but with everything that's happened, um, I don't think anybody could have ever imagined that, you know, iRacing is kind of the only sport on major TV live right now with the same athletes. You mentioned, you know, you can't get an NBA player on 2k, you can put them on TV, but you know, it's not the same playing on no. a controller as it is no, when you're in the sim rig with your steering wheel, you're talking to a spot. I mean, it's there's no way that any other major sport can compare in the esports space like NASCAR can do with iRacing. So Preach. Uh, it's been wild and it's only been two weeks. It feels like it's been two months. Uh, oh it's God. still early in this it. in this downtime. So hopefully we can keep people entertained. Um, but I'm uh, I'm overdue for a catch up few days on sleep, I think. So let's talk about specifically the Coke series. I'm going to just call it the Coke yeah. series because it's it's less of a mouthful than the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series. How did you becoming the play-by-play guy for that specific series come about? Because I know you mentioned that you had done some type of announcing and play-by-play things on the service for a few years, but this is kind of the pinnacle. This is kind of, I guess you could say, the most popular thing that was on the, the service that was widely distributed. So how did that opportunity come about in the first place? So the first year that I moved to, to doing uh, the boost stuff was in 2016. And granted, at this time, I mean, that was it. Like when I said that when I wanted to get on iRacing to commentate, these were the broadcasts that I was watching. And, and the whole mindset was at that point, if I'm calling the Coke series, I mean, that's it. Like that's that's the top. There There is no higher than that. I'm happy. I'm, I'm good. And I'll go find a real job because I, I did it. But it had been for the longest time broadcasted by PSR TV. Um, and Tim Terry was calling it with them. And, and Tim's still on our broadcast team. So so Tim's like the uh, the veteran. And he knows, you know, all these stats and can pull them out of nowhere when I have to use my cheat sheet. So it's really cool to have Tim still on it. But uh, it was Race Spot TV who took it over in 16. Uh, and they had done it now for the last couple of years. And I got a message from Will Vincent over at Race Spot, who does uh, a lot of the, the IndyCar and road stuff for them as well. Uh, and he said, you know, I, I have a series at nine o'clock on Tuesdays. You know, do you want to cover it? 
And I'm thinking, but there's kind of like an unwritten rule that you don't do iRacing broadcasting in that time slot. Because at that point, you know, they're getting 10,000 views compared to, you know, the 280,000 we saw two weeks ago. Doesn't sound like a lot. But at the time, 12,000, 10,000 for an iRacing oh, yeah. thing was big. So we didn't want to compete with that. So I'm like, I mean, I can if you really want me to, but, you know, it's on peak. And he goes, okay, so 9 o'clock on Tuesday. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'll do it. And he goes, I don't think you're understanding. 9 o'clock on Tuesday is the Coke series. And I was, oh, because that thought hadn't even crossed my mind. If you go back, because especially if I go back, and you listen to those 2016 broadcasts, not good. Not <laughs> not good in the slightest. And even at that point, I had had about three years but, you know, still still pretty young, so still learning a lot. And at that point as well, in 16, I had literally just started school. I'm not doing any journalism classes, right? You're kind of going through your Common Core stuff. So I didn't have any yeah. formal education on it. It's all kind of just been on the fly. Um, you know, we did that event with Tony Stewart, the, the Mobile One Virtual Showdown. And here's, uh, you know, young me interviewing Tony Stewart. Awful, terrible interview, the worst <laughs> of all time. But I think it really helped me to do it probably a year or two too early. I think I just got lucky because, you know, when you make that transition over to a new broadcast network, I think that's the only way the booth changed. So if if they had said, hey, he's not quite ready, I don't think it ever happens. I think that that, that crew that gets put in carries over now that iRacing does it in-house and it just never becomes anything. But because I probably did it a year or two too early, I was able to kind of grow into that role. And it's been, I mean, I'll look back at stuff I did last year and not like it. I'll look back at stuff I did a week ago and not like it because I think it's a constant learning thing. You're your own harshest. Exactly. Crap. But the thought that, you know, that was what I was being asked to do didn't even cross my mind. Um, and it's been the the craziest of rides, not only just to see how big that series has gotten, but as well now kind of being the de facto, you know, play-by-play -play person for most of the NASCAR stuff on iRacing is you get to do a lot of these special events and, you know, that pro-invitational stuff in, in 2017, even though it wasn't that big, I'm freaking out because they're like, all right, you got to go interview Bubba Wallace. Oh, Okay, that's not nerve-wracking at all. So it, it's come a long way. Uh, I think it's it's a combination of, of perseverance by doing, like I said, a broadcast probably every single week for the last seven years and, and a little bit of dumb luck. Uh, sending emails to the right people when I first got involved. I mentioned that ETV Live was the first broadcast network, and they're long since gone, that I was with at iRacing back in like 2012, 2013. And one of the emails that I had sent out when I went on and I, you know, sent the email to seven different people. Hey, can I broadcast for you? Uh, you know, Will and, and RaceSpot, which at the time was uh, under a different name, was was the ones that forwarded me to ETV. So it's just all those little connections, some chance, a little bit of luck here and there. Uh, and right place at the right time uh, puts me in this spot that I know that, uh, you know, there's hundreds of people that now kind of commentate iRacing stuff regularly. We'd kill to be a part of. So I, I do my very best to not normalize it because it's crazy. I mean, it's not a casual thing to, to be in that spot, um, right. but it's, it's so much fun. And that's why I think I can do, uh, you know, these last handful of weeks, I've been doing five, six different nights a week of broadcasting because it, it doesn't feel like work. It's still fun. And as long as it stays fun, um, then I hope to be broadcasting in some sort of role for a long time to come. That's kind of what I tell people as well. You know, they're like, oh, how's work? I'm like, well, you know, I'm getting flown across the country to cover race cars. It doesn't really yeah. 
seem like work. I mean, everybody has those days when you're like, damn, I wish I could just sleep or I wish I could just chill and do whatever. But I think what you said is, is very true. And it sounds like the way that you have progressed and gotten better over the years is simply just reps. So I was going to ask you, like, how have your skills advanced since you've been doing this? Because I remember one video that I think you tweeted out last year, it may have been the Homestead race, the finale. Um, but I think you you captioned it something like, I promise I don't look this mad all the time <laughs> in my life. Because that's like the one video that I remember because, I mean, I've done some play-by-play here and there when I was at MSU and everything like that. But, I mean, you're focused. Like, you are in. You are you are ready to rock, ready to roll. You are, you are focusing on one thing, one thing only. You're not worrying about your facial expressions. You're not worrying about how loud your voice is. Well, you, are, you know what I mean? It's just like you are so focused on that one thing. So that video kind of sticks in my mind whenever I hear you on a broadcast or I see your tweets. I'm like, there's the man. I promise I'm having fun. I think like I'm not (laughs) mad. I'm having a good time. I looked really angry because because when we do these things and if it's if it's a league broadcast, if it's the Coke series and even if it's the stuff on NBC last year, you know, we had uh, Letarte and, and, you know, Burton and, and Kligerman and all those guys like in the NBC studio despite how big of a production it may be or how small of you know a production it may be as far as I could be doing a league race with 800 viewers or the Coke stuff with 300,000 or the NBC stuff, you know, no matter what it is, I'm, I'm still at my desk. So it doesn't really change it for me because I've got my triple screens around me. I'm kind of in my own little bubble. So I feel comfortable in this spot and, and not having a camera on me as well most of the time, although I decided to put one on to see what it looked like. Uh, you're just kind of in your own little world. And, uh, you know, it's it, the fact that it doesn't matter how big or small of a situation you're on, the fact that it's still an iRacing race and you're still there to have fun uh, allows me to, I think, kind of cut back and let loose. And I think the biggest thing is as well is like don't take yourself too seriously. So like I saw that video, I'm like, man, I look like angry. And I could have said, no, nah, that, that's not a flattering video. I'm going to you know, not post that. But instead, it's, it's like, authenticity. It, yeah, you got to have fun with it. I think that the biggest thing is to not take yourself too seriously, to have fun with it. And, and like I said, as long as you're having fun, I think that I truly think that if you're having fun, that that is going to come out in your commentating. And then other oh, yeah. people as well tuning in are going to have a good time. 100%. I would agree with that. Um, and I think you see that in people's writing and people's podcasting and people not just in the broadcast booth, but if you're a host or an analyst or anything like that, if you're having fun doing it and it's like a conversation, nothing else really matters because you know that you're doing the best that you can and hopefully the viewer, listener, reader will feel like they're just kind of in on it like that. And you talked about the growth of the Coke series specifically. All things considered, this is like a a big, major step and the growth specifically in the last year, year and a half or so has been really, really big two-parter one did you expect it to be this rapid and two is it mostly because of the the big time nascar team owners like burton kligerman esports and denny has his team and william byron i call him mr i racing he has his own team i mean was that kind of the catalyst for something that was already brewing i think i think 100 percent. so i'll answer the second question first because the you know the way that it has happened is you know there's there's teams on i racing that work on the setups that have and, and still do kind of behind the scenes. But uh, I mentioned that NASCAR was doing a better job with, with kind of getting this out on social because for the longest time, I mean, even since 2010, even though this was an iRacing and a NASCAR sanctioned championship, it was more so an iRacing series than a NASCAR series. So when I started in 16, I still remember 
um, you know, the first time NASCAR tweeted a video that, you know, Mike commentated was in, or the, the first driver that followed you back on Twitter, or when the NASCAR account follows <laughs> you back on Twitter, and then yeah. you're like, all right, no more tweeting anything weird. But <laughs> it, it was certainly when the teams and the drivers bought in last season, because obviously their platforms are massive. Um, there are some people who, you know, follow Denny Hamlin or, or Parker and, you know, all those other drivers as well on their social platforms that don't follow NASCAR. So to get more people in, to kind of get that broad range, we had seen the upwards trajectory. We knew that it was growing, but I don't think 110% it would not be where it is now, and it would not have been where it was last year if it wasn't for the teams getting involved last season. I know that iRacing from the community caught a lot of flack because I mentioned those teams that you know drivers had kind of made over the years kind of got the boot for that, and then there was some criticism behind that. And, you know, we had only gotten 16 teams in, so there were some undrafted drivers and we had a draft and there were so many different things that everybody liked to have their opinion on. But at the end of the day, if that never happens, I don't think the series got on TV last year. I don't think the series is getting the the views and the engagement that it is yeah. now. So I knew it was going to grow to the first point. It was going up. Uh, but we kind of went from this to, you know, straight up in the air. Uh, you look back, uh, you know, just five years ago is the line I kind of like to use. I don't think five years ago... We could have any idea how big it would have been today. So then as we sit here today, maybe five years down the road, we look back on now and think about how small it was, right? Like I think it's only going to continue uh, to get bigger, and that's in part with within the NASCAR community, but as well just as esports continue to grow because this has been around, like, uh, mm -hmm. like I said, a little unofficial tagline, esports before esports. Um, as that continues to grow, uh, it is only going to bring this series up as well. So we had William Byron. Right. He, I think, is one of a kind in the sense of he did not he did not make it to cup because he was an iRacer. He got the opportunity to race in good equipment, we know, because he was so damn successful with iRacing. And then he turned out to be a pretty damn good race car driver, won an Xfinity championship, should have won the truck championship. Now he's in the 24 car. We know that. Right. Do you think that we will get to a point, whether it's in five years, in 10 years, who knows, maybe it's next year and somebody gives Zach Novak a ride. Do you think we'll get to a point where a Coke series driver can make it to the national series and have success? A hundred percent. Yes. I think that it is, it is all about, and you know, we talk about the, how much is similar in the, you know, the things that you don't have that feeling of the car underneath you in the same, even with the motion rig. So you need seat time. I don't think you can ever pull somebody uh, mm -hmm. Off of iRacing, you can't take a Ray Valley, you can't take a Zach Novak and just stick him in a car in, in the first race to get to get it done. But there are so many different learning progressions that you can make on the sim that allows you to maybe not have to start directly in a Bandolero. Like you can start a little bit higher up, and I think that iRacing can be used to, to kind of escalate somebody's growth. And okay. and we've seen with this Pro Invitational series as well. I mean, you've got NASCAR guys who are in some of the underfunded equipment, not just beating up on you know somebody who is a you know a NASCAR pro but not familiar with the sim like it's not solely because those drivers don't have sim experience there are some of the underfunded drivers who are beating some of the guys who in good equipment on cup series are also i racers like it's not just the fact that well he i races and he doesn't i mean they both do and he's better on the sim so I think that when it comes down to those fundamentals and, and learning and I mean, there is so much data that I think people don't realize that goes in the work behind the scenes for a Coke series level team, thousands of hours 
of practice, of telemetry and data, I think that experience would really help somebody to maybe get in, uh, you know, maybe not directly into a truck series ride, but uh, you've kind of seen with uh, Ty Majeski, who's one of the best iRacers out there, uh, a lot of late model stuff and has had a couple of cracks at the top three series. So uh, I think 110%, if given the opportunity, these young drivers can kind of cut out some years of the real world development ranks, you know, at the at the very local short tracks um, by getting this experience. And I 100 percent believe if, if they have the equipment and, you know, that kind of belief in them, uh, I think these guys are really good. I think I think they could do it. So I had this conversation with my dad, I think I think after the Homestead race, because he watched it back on a, on a rerun because he wasn't able to watch it live. And he was like, wow, this is like this is real. I was like, yeah, it, it's crazy. And he didn't know the specifics of iRacing, so I explained to him how it's not like you're on a controller and you actually have, you know, throttle response and, and steering wheels and all this stuff. So then we started talking like, okay, can you make a system where it's like if you win the Coke series, you get an automatic truck ride? And I was like, eh, that's like probably a little much. He's like, okay, what if you get a tryout for an ARCA East or an ARCA West team? And I was like... That sound like that that's realistic, don't you think? Because I think it's a bit unrealistic to throw somebody who, let's say, has no real world stock car experience in a race car and say, Go ahead, do what you did in iRacing. I don't think they'd be terrible, but I don't think they'd be great by any means. But I think if you kind of had that slow integration, not starting in a bandolero by any means, or, or kind of like a mini stock, but maybe you just throw them in an ARCA car. I keep wanting to call it KN. You know what I mean? What, what if you just throw them in a K&N or ARCA car and you say, hey, give me a 20-lap run here at or you know Irwindale, a short track, something like that. Let's see how your lap times compared to Derek Krause's here last year. I think that is actually a reasonable and something that may have some merit moving forward, and that can also get a lot of different factors involved with sponsorship, marketing, all this different stuff. So I think if you could add somehow a real racing component – and kind of have one of those rewards besides the the finances of it to a driver who were to win a championship or or get some sort of achievement. I think that could take this whole thing to the to the next level. Yeah, I think that's kind of the perfect uh, you know stage in the ladder would be just under the trucks uh, in an ARCA car because the other thing that I think that you would have to keep in mind is again if you're still putting somebody in and it's a fifty fifty split to be honest when you talk about Coke drivers if they have some real life experience or none. And, and a lot of that real life experience is again, low down in the ranks at a local short track, but it is still some in seat time. I think that if you, if you put somebody in a car like that for a test, you have to keep it in mind, you know, you look at their lap times for a 20 lap run. Don't compare that 20 lap run to when your driver did it this year, compare that to their first time in the car, you know, Good even point. having to move up and then see kind of where we are. Cause I still think you need the seat time, but you don't have to, you know, teach drivers some of these nuances that you kind of learn as you get up through the ranks and you get to bigger cars and more power and just trying to figure some of those things out if you go through it on iRace. I don't think anyone's ever going to go from the sim right to a seat and going to win their first time out. You do need that seat time, but I think it is such a valuable tool. And the cool thing we do is not only with our Coke champion, but we also have the eNASCAR Ignite series, which is 13 to 16-year-olds, and uh, they race modifieds on iRacing. It's normally every fall. And the winner of that as well got to do a test uh, with Zach in a uh, late model. I think they were down at Myrtle Beach Speedway right, uh, or one right. of those tracks. So you know, that's kind of the 
I think the start of the progression and, and the team who did that, by the way, kind of volunteered up their car. They said, hey, we want to be the ones to be a part of this. So there is some interest there. But I think not only is that a possibility for the coach drivers, but NASCAR has really been trying with this Ignite series as well to get those 13 to 16 year olds, those younger drivers, because at some point you got to get in a car. I don't think you could wait till you're 25, 26 to get in a car just because of the way that, you know, young talent is coming up at that point. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's going to give you a look. But the if models change. Yeah, but if you get those teenagers who can't get out on a big track until they're 18, get them as much sim time as possible, then get them in kind of right at that 17, 18 range, maybe even 16 at the end of that 13 to 16 window that NASCAR is really targeting. Uh, I think that it's it's a huge, huge asset. Uh, and I would actually be more surprised than not if in 10 years there isn't somebody in the top three or even at an ARCA level um, who actually their first race was on iRacing, not at the track down the road. I think that's probably going to happen sooner rather than later. And there's there's always going to be those people out there, oh, this, this damn guy raced a video game. I, I should have my son out there racing. But it's different. I mean, like like we said, the model is changing. So, okay, I got a few more for you, and then I'll let you go. Do you have aspirations of, like, making it in the quote-unquote real world and calling NASCAR races and the Cup Series or something like that? Because like you said, when you got the call – saying that you were going to be doing stuff Tuesdays at nine, you didn't even realize that it was the Coke series at the time. And you're like, Oh, like this is, this is the pinnacle. So now that you're there, have you allowed yourself to one reflect on that? And two, have your goals in terms of what you want to do as a broadcaster or within the sport of racing in general, have those changed at all? Well, the, the funny thing is, you know, kind of tying the schooling to back in is I had never thought that I'd go to school to get a journalism degree. Like it was, it was never on the radar as a kid, but when I started doing the iRacing stuff, I'm like, well, it kind of goes hand in hand. So it was journalism and media studies. So I, I mean, like I, you know, run some Twitter accounts for, for leagues and, and channels and stuff over the years and, and those kind of things. So it's all interesting to me. But, you know, I, as you mentioned, I thought like that YouTube stream with 12,000 people, like that was it. Like, let's do it. Yeah. Fast forward to last fall when, you know, we had two all-stars and then the finale on NBC. And at that point I was like, all right, that's it. You know, sim race on NBCSN, like that's the top but then I'm thinking, I mentioned that I, I kind of said no to the full-time jobs to kind of leave this open. I don't know if I can kind of do two, three part-time jobs for the rest of my life so I can do sim racing. So it's it's fun now, but I think the, the ultimate goal would be uh, to trade the virtual cars for real cars. Um, I've done one real-life race, and it was a super late model race at the Bullring at uh, LVMS, I think two, three years ago. So it's the only time I've ever called a real race. Um, and, you know, talking with guys uh, like Steve Letarte, who, uh, you know, I, I talked with when we did that broadcast in the fall and I, I saw him in Charlotte at the Enascar Media Day and we were talking, uh, you know, it's he says that it's a lot harder to commentate the race in the sim because you can't look out the window and see everything. You kind of have to be creative yeah. with with using resources. Um, so he said that help doing it in the sim would probably kind of prepare me better to transition to real life when, you know, it would probably make it easier than than having to be restricted um, you know, with, with what we're working with in the sim. So, um, who knows? I, I'm, I'm only 23. I say that, but I, I feel like I'm getting old. Um, me too, dude. but, Trust me. uh, if somebody gave me a call and, and would give me the opportunity, I, I would hundred percent jump all over that. I, I still want to do the iRacing stuff. It's Tuesdays. We normally race on weekends, Stick so we could do both maybe, but um, I, I think now that this is kind of blown up, even two, three years ago, like you mentioned, when I was on the, the series for the first time, I kind of thought that was it. But I've allowed myself to dream a little bit in the last 
two years or so. Yeah. That maybe there's more after this. Hell yeah. And I feel like we've got a ways to go. So we'll see. Hopefully we're, uh, if it's sim racing or real cars, whatever it is, um, if I'm calling races of some sort uh, for a long time, that's that's what I want to do. I, I don't really have uh, any backup plans. I haven't been, you know, I got the journalism degree. We're kind of all in on the broadcasting. So that's uh, that's the goal now is to to see some real cars. I got you. Take it one day at a time. Yeah. And this is one of my last questions, but you kind of led me into it. So this is, like I said, this is the first time we've had a conversation one-on-one. But just listening to you on the broadcast, I feel like you have one of the most announcer-like voices <laughs> that I've ever heard <laughs> because you have, you just have a certain cadence to it that makes it seem like you're way older and way more experienced and know way more than you are and, and what you do. And I, I, I hope that comes off as a compliment because that's kind of what I look at it as. And I was going to ask, like, do you have a difference between your normal voice and your announcing voice? But I think the answer is yes because now that I've been talking to you for, I don't know, let's see, 48 or so minutes – I think that your normal voice, I can definitely tell, like, if I was listening to a Coke broadcast and just talking to you right now, I'd know that it was Evan. But when you're on the Coke broadcast, and or any other broadcast for that matter, I can tell that you have a different cadence and kind of a different, I guess you can say, way of putting your voice out there. Is that fair to say? I, I think a lot of it is just, like, how you pronounce things. Because, you know... When I when I talk normally, like I, I kind of mumble a little bit, and you're not going to get away with that on a broadcast. And again, this has nothing to do with like schooling, um, you know, like like I didn't have a class where like this is how you talk on air, this is how you talk in a broadcast. You must enunciate your syllables. It, that's just kind of been from 2013 to now, just kind of figuring it out. But the one thing that I I try to do is is not go kind of too deep into that like the like the local dirt track announcer where it's it's like a totally different language like <laughs> yeah, i try yeah. to still talk and I, I try not to get you know too far away because the way that we do the broadcast is is different from tv like tv is a lot more conversational um and the way that we've just always done things on the esports side and part of it is because I can't look to my right or left and, and kind exactly. of read off my my other guys, right? You can't MRN style. Exactly. Baby. So you're just kind of one person to the other, and and it kind of hits on that radio style, which which kind of plays into that style. So that's just always the way that it's been. Um, and like, I feel like in the last year or two, I've done a little bit better job of not getting like too loud for no reason. Like, just take it easy a little bit, so so people can can listen and it's digestible. Um, but for the most part, I, I, I talk a little bit louder and enunciate things. Um, and then you like, you know, you got to say like side by side different cause you got to have some excitement in it. Like you don't, side like, by yeah, side. see like you have those little things, but for the most part, I try to just keep it more conversational than, than maybe some people have their, yeah. their style kind of line up with. Yeah. Everybody has their own style. So I think, and Hey, Whatever your style is, it is working for you. Yeah, I, I don't uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I guess that's, that's what right. they say. That's right. I I live my life based on that principle every single day. Well, you have a very bright future. You've had a very bright past as well. Uh, thank you for taking some time with me here today. I hope everybody learned something today because I learned a bunch. Uh, the future is not only bright for you; it's bright for esports. Hopefully, it's bright for NASCAR. 
forgot to ask off the top. So excuse me for this. Everything good with you and your family with coronavirus going around? Yeah, we're uh, we, things haven't been that bad here uh, in Nevada, but we're in uh, actually because of all of this. I mentioned that you know the Monster Jam stuff that I've done. They've they've kind of laid everybody off because there can't be any you know events happening. So that's like my real job gone. Um, and then uh, the the family business is in construction, so it's considered essential. So we're still kind of working on the day to day, but uh, we're all good. I'm just kind of hanging out at home and uh, I've picked up a broadcast here and a broadcast there to keep me busy because otherwise I think without that routine that I'm used to, I'll go insane. So yep. like I've got a broadcast in an hour, the the same series that I've been doing on Monday nights for like six years. So it's trying to keep a sense of normalcy, but uh, you know we're doing all right and hopefully uh, everybody else is as well and, and we can kind of be smart and stay home and, and get back to this uh, you know once it's safe to do so. Well, your sense of normalcy is bringing everybody across the country and across the world their sense of normalcy. So on behalf of all race fans, all NASCAR fans, we thank you and everybody at iRacing for what they're doing, kind of pulling all this stuff together at the drop of a hat. Evan Pistachio, Evan Pasoslo, go Caps, Golden Knights, you're all right. Thanks for the time, buddy. Yeah, thanks for chatting. Thank you. And we're back. Thank you to Evan for taking some time. That was a... I asked him before, I was like, any time constraints? He's like, eh, under an hour. I was like, oh, yeah, like, I don't really have that much material. We'll be like a half hour tops. And lo and behold, 50 minutes later, here we are. So thank you to Evan for hopping on with me and chatting. Really enjoyed talking with him and, uh, of course, giving us some crap for my caps beating the Golden Knights. He's not over it. I'm not over it. It's great. Look nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Josh Berry won the replacements 100 at Kansas, which feels like forever ago at this point. I think it was a week or so ago. He led wire to wire. Kind of boring. Not really going to lie. But, I mean, hey, it is actually realistic, right? A NASCAR employee unfortunately tested positive for coronavirus at Atlanta Motor Speedway. um, And they notified teams and everybody of that uh, late last week. Um, But they were told to self-quarantine for like two days after the announcement. So I was kind of confused. All eNASCAR Pro Invitational races are not only just going to be on FS1 and the Fox Sports app, but on network, baby. Fox, that is big, big, big time. Really cool. But it was not actually on a my local Fox affiliate here, but I still was able to watch, of course. Jordan Anderson discovered his hauler was actually an old number 11 Brett Bodine one. That was pretty cool. I enjoyed seeing that article that Daniel McFadden did on NBC Sports. I was pretty, pretty hype about that. Virginia's stay-at-home order for coronavirus has been announced through June 10th, and unfortunately, Martinsville was the scheduled return for the Cup Series in early May. Martinsville obviously is in Virginia, so that probably is not going to happen. I actually didn't even think about that when I saw it because Maryland did the same here for us, and then Virginia was going to do the same thing around 2 o'clock with their governor. I was like, oh, yeah, stay at home, whatever. But, hey, here we are. Uh, Speaking of things being delayed and pushed back, the next-gen car that was set to debut in the 2021 Daytona 500, inevitably that was set to be delayed, and uh, the Athletics' Jordan Bianchi is reporting that this week NASCAR will formally announce the delay of that car launching in 2021. It's unclear whether or not it's going to launch a year later in 22, or it's going to be a slow integration like the COT was in 2007. I guess we will see. And that's the end of Lug Nuts. That's the end of the show, guys. Please just keep doing what we can do. Stay inside. Don't see anybody unless you absolutely have to. 
Um, wash your hands. Just take all the necessary precautions. It sucks. It really freaking sucks. I miss sports. I miss my friends. I miss having a normal life. But, I mean, everybody's in the same boat, right? Um, we can complain all we want, and I've done plenty of it, but it's not going to fix anything. What is going to fix things is listening to those people smarter than us, like Dr. Anthony Fauci and some people on the coronavirus task force that the president is heading up. Um, just listen to the people that are smart. Don't be stupid. Um, and this thing will hopefully blow over sooner rather than later. That's all we can do. Just listen to the people that are smarter than us so we don't get sick and we don't die. Anyways, that will wrap things up for episode 47. Shout out to the dinger on Victory Lane 2.0. I hope that I can kind of bring you some smiles and some forms of entertainment as this, uh, I guess you can say, self-quarantining across the nation, across the world is ongoing. Please do me a favor. If you like what you heard today or if you like me talking about coronavirus, which I don't know why you would, leave this podcast a rating and a review. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast, we are most likely there. We'll be back here in, in a couple days because with no racing going on and no job for me to go to, I got a lot of time on my hands. So I've been able to talk to some other people in the racing industry and have uh, sit down with them for a little bit and hear their stories. So next up, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but let's just say she may be a douchebag. Yep, I said it. Sorry, you know who I'm talking about. See you in a couple days. <laughs>